Hey, this is Sammy Flores. I'm the pastor at Coin Church in Chino, California, and this is our podcast. I'm so grateful you're tuning in. I hope this encourages you and calls you to more because you were made for more. And so the scripture says this in Nehemiah chapter four. We're gonna jump right in. It says this, therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by their families with their swords and their spears and their bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles and the officials and to the rest of the people, I said, don't be afraid of them, which will discover who them is. Remember the Lord, Nehemiah said, who is great and awesome. And here it is, fight for your families, your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. And then if we jump to verse 20, it says, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. You guys see that? Nehemiah is telling uh, an old, ancient people that we find ourselves in the book of Nehemiah where the walls are already taken down, where Jerusalem is already destructed, that the Babylonian Empire has already taken over, the Assyrian Empire has already taken over, and now, currently, in this time that we just read, like this is like thousands of years ago we've just read, where there's the king Osiris. Have you heard of his name, Cyrus? And Nehemiah was under enslaved towards this king, but he found favor in the eyes of this king, and Nehemiah felt this compel, this call that many of us will feel at times like, I-, I know there's something I'm called to do, but what is it? And so God made it very clear to Nehemiah, I want you to go back to the destroyed Jerusalem, that your family, it was ravished and destroyed over all these different empires and so go Nehemiah and I want you to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and so he goes Nehemiah goes and he actually finds inhabitants there in Jerusalem the their homes are wrecked the walls are destroyed enemies are continually coming in and coming out and we would know through the Old Testament understanding when we dedicated and heard that Solomon dedicated the 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 the, the walls and, and, and dedicated the temple, that the temple where this was in Jerusalem was so crucial to the people of Israel. But I love that Nehemiah says, he says, gather your families and fight for your families because them, the enemy, is after us and wants us to be dead. And then he says something real. This is a promise in the scriptures, by the way. He says, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. In these next couple moments, I want to talk to you about this title and this message, The Monster in the Room. I know that's like not a, a happy title for today, but I think it's so incredibly essential because we must realize that if, if there's, can I just get a show of hands just by curiosity? Who has seen like Monsters, Inc.? You guys seen it? I would say all of us, right? To some degree, we've seen Monsters, Inc. And, you know, I always find this so intriguing. And if I could just get just deep for a moment, you know, a lot of times we tell our children, I know I have, like, I would be scared at night. And I would go to my mom or dad, I'd be, like, terrified. And, you know, I was raised in a Christian home, so they knew how to talk to me about evil things or wicked things or scary things. But so often we tell our children, and I don't want to do this to Lenya, but I you know, hey, there's something under my bed or there's something scary. And, and metaphorically, what we say is, there's no such thing as a monster. There's no such thing. But yet, that's not true. We, we don't really believe that because if that were the case, we don't let our children go to the ice cream man by themselves anymore. 
Or why is it then if we don't believe in monsters, why won't we let our children walk to school anymore? Well, there are, there are monsters then. It's just how we perceive them. And, you know, I think of that, that movie, Monsters, Inc., and it's fiction, and, you know, it's a story, but the story tells us something as a narrative. You see, we tell our children all the time, there's no such thing as that, there's no such thing as that, and then they're raised in a world where there's no bad things in the world. That's just not the case. It's not the case. And so when I look at this story, and he says, be careful of them, they are the monster." If you know anything about ancient history of the Roman Empire or the Babylonians that perfected, by the way, the crucifixion, the Babylonians did, and then it was the Romans that made it even better. But we realize that what they would do, especially when the Assyrians took over Jerusalem and then eventually it was the Persians that had overtaken them in this time, is when the Babylonians came in, you, you know what they did? This is the monster within them. And the crazy thing is we all have monsters in us. And we need to learn how to fight against those things, fight against darkness. But nevertheless, in the story, they came to Jerusalem, and what they would do is they said, we're going to destroy you. We're going to annihilate you. And so the Babylonians came the first time. They took the children away, the mother away, in front of the father, killed all of them, and the father was standing there, and then killed the father. Or the other thing they would do is they would get chariots of horses and, and they, would, they would grab the family as the father watched and, and rode the family throughout the city of Jerusalem. And then some of them would take that father with, imagine the trauma that you would just experience, and then take them into captivity. Or it was the other way around. They would kill the fathers, they would kill the husbands, they would kill the men. And the children and the, and the, and the wives and the mothers saw. That's monstrous, isn't it? And yet, they're are the them that's the monster. And if we were to understand it deeper in theology, we would know that we have an arch nemesis against our soul, which to be plain and simple is the devil, the demonic oppressions of life, the evil wickedness that wants to destroy the very imago Dei, the image of God within us. And so then we won't let our children walk down the street, right? So when you look at the family unit, it's interesting to me there is a monster after the family. Did you know that? There is nothing. I mean, look at the 21st century. Everything is at odds against the family. Everything. And it's being established by God in Genesis. God actually, I don't know if you knew this, he created the family. In Genesis, the scripture says that there was Adam, he created Eve, and then we eventually know that Eve and Adam had many other children, but we know them by Cain and Abel, and that's a whole other story we could go into in another time. But God created the family, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. That we have a job, and it starts with the father and the mother and the child, and by definition, that is a family unit. Just to be clear, it's mom, it's dad, and it's child. That's the family unit. Yet we realize family can go beyond just DNA. Did you know that? In fact, every person in the room has a family member. Did you, I mean, that blows my mind. But it's so true. And so this message isn't just relevant to the baby dedication and, and the people that are in life of having a, a, a spouse and having children. No, in fact, this goes to the young single who has a brother or a sister or a mom and dad. 
It's the family union. And so we have to realize that there's something coming against the family unit. Nehemiah in scriptures is, is that of a remnant. The reminiscing, the reminding that I might be the last of, but I'm going to stand on who God is. And I honestly, if I'm just being frank, I fear that at times that we are getting to a place in our collective church as a whole where less and less people actually care about God. And I'll never forget when I was a junior high pastor, I would always go to my mom because she just, she would teach me the scriptures and she would read to me, by the way, please, mothers and fathers, read your children Bible stories at night. Like Bible stories. And I get it. Lenya has them and says Dada by Jimmy Fallon and other ones. Those are all really cool stories. But when they get to a point where they can comprehend, teach them the scriptures. In fact, it is your job, not pastor or youth pastor or mentor. It is your job as a mother and father, as a guardian to teach them in the ways of God. And why would we do that? There's something profound that happens to a little child as they continually grow in the scriptures, but really more importantly, as they watch you. Little eyes, they're watching. Kelly, just as a joke, and here's the thing, like, I, I, it was... Kelly was really busy, and I always find her in moments. I'm just a jokester at home. I just, I'm extroverted. I want to laugh and giggle. I try not to take things too serious. And I, I, Kelly was taking out the trash or doing just something like that, and Lenya was on her high chair. And I was like, Kelly, I love you. And I was trying to give her a hug. She was like, stop, stop, stop. I'm trying to do something. And I was like, look, look. Lenya's watching. <laughs> and sure enough, those little eyes. And so then, you know, she, Kelly noticed. She gave me a hug and kissed my cheek. And then Lenya smiled. It's like, wait a second, that's cute and great, but they're watching. And you were watching your parents. You were watching your family dynamic, though it was unhealthy or healthy. You didn't know what the difference between health and unhealthy is. And so then what happens is we grow up, and oftentimes we say there's monsters everywhere. Don't go out of the street, but there could be a monster at home. You could be the monster. And so it's like, I don't know how to explain it other than like, I'm, I'm so in reverence to the power that God has given me the ability to have a child. Like he's given me, it's not my child, Lenya's not mine, she's God's. And I know that through scripture when Hannah dedicated Samuel to God and, and the power of that moment and how Samuel became one of the most profound prophets in the Old Testament. And through Samuel, he anointed David. And, well, there's a ripple effect of that. But if it wasn't for Hannah praying for her son, God, I, I dedicate Samuel to you all the days of his life. Verse 20 is, wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. When I was a junior high pastor, what I was saying is I, I would go to my mom often because, I mean, my mom raised four sons. And so there were so many times I just didn't know how to deal about certain family dynamics. I wasn't a therapist. I wasn't a psychologist. And yet when you're a pastor, there's like a myriad of things that you're working with. And I'll never forget there was this young mother who had a 13-year-old son. And there was no father in the picture, and she had a 13-year-old son, and he was his eighth grader in junior high, and she said, I need to talk to you, I need to talk to you. So we, we met at Starbucks, and she was so perplexed, and she was terrified, and she was scared, but I prepared. I said, Mom, can you give me some insight? I'm not sure how to, I don't know what's going on, but like, and, and my mom said, ask her if she's praying for her son. And so I asked. I said, are you praying for him? And, no, not actually, the more I think, not really. And 
I learned not through the lens of my mom that that is essential. I mean, there's no argument about it. You should be praying for your children. Day in and day out, praying and praying and praying. And God, raise them in the ways of the Lord. God, every time I hold Lenya and I walk you know, down the hall, I'm praying for her future. I'm praying for her spouse. I'm praying for the magnitude and the call that she has over her life. And then I ask God and I pray for me to teach her well and for my wife and for Kelly and for the family and for the church to, to raise her in the ways of God because there is a monster after her. To get a bit statistical and analytical for just a brief moment, it says this, and I found findings in psychology of universities over after like a 10 period of time, they looked at a child growing up to like 10 years down the road, and I'm sorry if you don't like psychology, but God is in that too. There's a healthy family dynamic and an unhealthy family dynamic, and let's start with the good one first, okay? I'm just going to geek out with you statistically really quick. These are the characteristics of healthy families, okay? So... Maybe take notes. Allow and accept emotional expressions of an individual's character and interests. Obvious and consistent rules in the family. They need order, not chaos. Consistently treating members with respect and build a level of flexibility to meet the individual's needs. All family members feel safe and secure. No fear from emotional, verbal, physical, or sexual abuse. This is a healthy family dynamic. Parents provide care for their children, not expecting their children to take care of them. I don't know if you got that one. Responsibilities given are appropriate to their age. Flexible and forgiving to a child's mistakes. For example, my mom and my brother taught me this. I'll never forget I would take care of my brother's sons. He's got three and two of them are in elementary and one of them was in junior high at the time. And so I would take little Joe and little Eli and... One time, I think they forgot their lunch pail, and I know it was my job to get the lunch pail. And I talked to Paul, and he said, Sammy, a, four, a fourth grader forgets their lunch pail. It's no big deal. Like, what happens is the parent gets so upset. You forgot your lunch pail. You're a bad. Now you're on punishment. And what we're doing is they're only four, in fourth grade or, or third grade or second grade, and so the, the, the thing says responsibility given are appropriate to their age, fourth Four-year-olds forget to take out the trash, right? So teach them appropriately. And then perfection is unattainable, unrealistic, besides potentially dull and sterile. Here are the common signs of a dysfunctional family, okay? I'm just going to go through them really quick. Lack of empathy, respect, and boundaries towards family members. Borrowing or destroying personal possessions without consent. Invading personal privacy without permission. Extreme conflict and hostility in the family environment. Verbal and physical assault between parent-child or sibling-to-sibling assaults against each other. I mean, me and my brothers would play, but we weren't trying to kill each other. Like, my parents taught us that you don't punch them in the face. Like, we would wrestle, and we would, like, get down, but, I mean, never, like, did I want to, ugh. Like, I just learned I'm not going to punch you in the face, Zach. I love you too much. <laughs> role reversal or, or role confusion. Both parent and child change their roles. Early paternalism, meaning... You become the parent, child. That's not healthy. Restricted friendships and relationships with outsiders lead to family isolation. Secrecy, denial, rigid rules from extremists, religious fundamentalists, like spiritual manipulation, which we should not do. That's really bad. You're, you're putting God against them and not showing God that he loves them. That's very bad. 
Perfectionism and unrealistic expectations to their children. Parents' expectations beyond their child's skills, abilities, and development. Emotional, verbal abuse, ridicules behavior, and blaming each family member. Stifled speech and emotion, not allowing their children to have their own opinions. And neither accepted sadness or happiness emotion. And then using children as weapons against each other for revenge attitude. Do you see the monster there? And I realized that, again, the biggest attack in the 21st century is in the home. It starts in the home. And they are worth fighting for. And it's the promise of the scriptures. Nehemiah is teaching us something. Though it was like physical war, we're in a different type of war. Nehemiah said, God is saying, if you will fight for your families, God says, I'll fight for you. And that's the problem and dilemma is we're so perplexed by what to do that we're not even fighting for our families. We're not praying for our children. We're not building the relational component between a husband and a father because the little eyes are watching. If the enemy could just get to the man before he's married. That was a note I put. I have a friend here. I won't say her name. I love you. You know who you are. And we're talking about singles and dating. And she was like, why don't you fix all the men and, the, and like the young, you know, because we want to get married. You know, and it's a problem in the church, and just, it's a big issue, man. I don't know, there's a lot of components to it. And I said, well, I'd have to start in elementary school. We all would. We'd have to go back to elementary school. But I would argue, both male and female, that the enemy is specifically after the man. He is. I mean, go to biblical university. It was the same when I went. There is so much more women than there are men. You come to a church, you look at the leadership, oftentimes those that are a little bit more driven towards Christ-likeness and serving are women more than men. But if the enemy could just get to the man first before he's married, he already has a foothold in the family. Or the young girl before she's married. If I could just teach her the ways of the world before she gets married, then I can then get to the marriage. And if I get to the marriage... That's the monster. If the monster can get to the marriage, then they have children, and then I have the children. And it's terrifying, and it's something that we must fight against, and it's something we must pray against, and we must learn, my wife is worth fighting for. My husband is worth fighting for. My siblings are worth fighting for. My child is worth fighting for, and I will fight for them, and I will pray for them, and I will teach them, and I will learn the rhythms of life, and I will learn the characteristics of God so that I can make an imprint on their future. Verse 14 says, do not be afraid of them. To the them in this story, it's, it's the enemy being the arch nemesis to your family in this story, it was anyone not happy with the rebuilding of the wall. They were building a wall. And you're building your home. You're building your family. I mean, I even know now looking through the lens of my mother and father, there's no more children in the home. And so they have to build their marriage too. It never ends. But if you're not building, then what are you doing? And the scripture says, no, fight for them. And God says, I will fight for you. You know, as the worship team comes on up, I wanted, to, I wanted to express that, you know, we're all family here. Though it might not be DNA, you know, we realize that when you get close enough to an individual, they almost become like family. They really do. You know, we've, 
We've just witnessed something really powerful right now. I hope you didn't like skip over it. I hope to the families and to the, the families here watching that it, it's, it's a moment that you've documented in your heart and your soul. And again, it's really not so much for the child, it's for you. That you would think and process and actually look at your children and think, where will they be in 10, 15 years? And God is saying it's your duty to raise them in the ways of God. And as I quoted earlier in 1 Samuel, you know, Samuel makes a declaration. He says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you might say, well, there's nothing really important about serving God. I'll figure it out on my own. And, and I would say, I mean, I love you, but like, good luck with that. Because the enemy is after your family. And so we have to understand that through the power of God that he can do something extraordinary. He can restore families. I've seen it. He can move in families. He can teach you how to deal with family members. That's why Jesus said to love your enemies. Because you could be in a home with your enemy. It could be really difficult. And so husband and wife, though I've been married, you know, coming on seven years, I know I don't have a lot to say about it. My mom and dad and other family members could, but I've learned one thing. That at year seven, you realize you can't change the person. Do you know that? But then I realized as I've studied some psychology of family therapy, watch this. The problem is if you were to do a rigmatics and you were to count how many different disagreements you had in the family home. So if you came to Kelly and I house and, you know, you studied us for a week, how many disagreements would we have? Probably a lot. You know, we all have disagreements. You're your own person individually. Otherwise, you'll just be a robot. And we don't want that. And so what happens is you disagree, you disagree, you disagree. And so if you don't fix the disagreement, if you don't win for the family, then you slide that under the rug. And you do that for 20, 30 years, you now have like 70,000, something crazy like that, disagreements. And then you're saying, well, I'm so upset by what they did and it was 20 years ago. But here's the thing, the, the monster can be in that too. And we must fight for the, the power of the future of our children. We must fight that God would reconcile and restore our souls. So again, because we're all family here, to the singles, to the Taylors and the Alyssas and the Gabbies and, and, and the Haley's and to all the singles in the room, to the, the girl singles. Lenya's going to grow up. Taylor, right? Lenya's going to grow up. And... Alyssa, Lenya's going to grow up. And so, you know, let, let's just realistically, you know, she's looking at people, because I've learned this as a junior high pastor, you're going to get to a point as a parent, your parent doesn't think you're all too cool. And they'll listen to a, a pastor, junior high pastor, or a friend more than they'll listen to you. And so I need to be in a community where Lenya sees strong, independent, courageous Powerful women of God that care about the scriptures, that care about their life, that care about virtue, that care about spiritual habits. I, I need so bad, and I'm praying for that even for this day when Lenya gets to an age where she starts saying, I don't really know what you think, Dad. Yeah, sure. But then she can go, and, and there Taylor is. She says, no, let me show you in the scriptures how powerful this is. And so that's why it's imperative as the singles are here that we know Christ and because they're, they're teaching the children whether you like it or not. 
And then to the young men, you know, the young guys, the Jonathans and the Jonathans and the Jessies and, and you know, the, the Richies. And there's, there's young men here in this room that I've come to love and know. And so I must tell you, too, that the little Drews are going to grow up. The little Eliases are going to grow up. My nephew James is going to grow up. There are going to be children that grow up. And they're going to look to a man to, to, to understand some certain, certain things. And maybe they might not look to Brendan as the dad at times, especially the junior high years. Well, do you have the beauty and the health of Christ to just give encouragements? Because the monster is after the family unit. And then I'll end with this story because I think it's powerful. And it's known throughout the theological frame because this man became a theologian. And there was this quick story of, of a father who was really busy with work. And he lived in an area where it was always snowing. Okay, There was always snow. And so... He would walk to work, though, this father, and he had a little child, like a four-year-old son, and he got up one morning, he had his coffee, and, and the snow had just fallen, so when he walked, you could see his footprints, and every morning, though, the monster within him was alcoholism, and it became a monster to his, him and his family, and he tried to compartmentalize it to where it was not in the home, but it was so hard, and so he would walk in the morning, and on his way to work, he would go into a bar, have a couple of drinks, and then he would head off, and as he was walking to the bar in the cool of the moment, in the morning, he, he heard little little noise, and he turned back, and it was his son, and he was, he was like trying to step in his dad's footprints, and they were big, and his was small, and and he was looking and he was studying and, and the father picked him up and said, oh God, I was just going to go in the bar. And he took him home and he, he took his son to the, the wife and he went down in the basement and he cried out to God. And he said, God, I don't ever want my son to walk in my footprints that would lead him to a monster. And it's our job as parents as siblings, as family members to make sure that where you're going, it's to Christ's likeness. And your children, though you like it or not, I'm sorry, they're going to step, especially the younger years, they're going to see and they're going to understand and it's more, it's more caught than it is taught. But far be it to me for Lenya to step in my footprints or step into Kelly's foot, footprints and, and it lead her astray, not in my house. Not in the house of God. Not as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And so I must learn how to fight against the enemy. And it's with the Holy Spirit. And it's with the scriptures. And it's with the power of God. And it's with the movement of God. And so I'm going to work really diligently to have a healthy relationship with my, my wife. To have healthy relationships with others. Because little eyes are watching. And I must fight the monster. I must push back the monster. And I'm, I'm sorry. I mean... I, forgive me, but church is essential, friends. I mean, I'm just going to go out on a whim, and, and I love you guys, but i got to be honest, like, the distraction of the monster can be baseball on Sunday mornings. It could be basketball. It could be soccer. My mom would not let me. I would cry. Let me go play soccer, please, on Sunday morning. No, you got to come to church. But she was teaching me something. I was learning something in kids' class. I was learning the scriptures. She was showing me that we will serve the Lord, and I'm grateful for my three brothers that know God. I'm grateful for my, grand, my parents' grandchildren that know God, and I'm grateful that I had this, this, this framework that was built off my family dynamic that is now teaching me how to be a better follower of Christ. And it starts with your family. And that's the power of Christ. You could let go of the old self and step into the new self. And it's this restorative power. 
to step into the new. And it starts with you, mom and dad. It's not a game here. It's really spiritual. It's really powerful. It's really monumental. Amen? Come on, will you stand with me as we finish? God, I pray, Father, over every family member, God, over every person that knows who you are, and then maybe they don't know who you are, and they're struggling, and they're searching. God, I pray that you would teach us healthy family dynamics, that you would teach us, God, that the enemy, the arch nemesis of our soul, the monster in the world, is after us, is after my children. And so, God, I will do everything that I can to learn who you are, to learn the power of who you are. I will... I will meditate on your word father i will step into the unknown so that the next generation can move and the next generation can move and and then we create a ripple effect of the power of who you are god so teach me how to walk in your ways so that my